I was feeling kind of low, so I went to see the doctor. He said, why do you think you're depressed? I don't know. Pandemic? My career went kaput? Isolation? No sex? Wildfires burning down my street? My dog just died? He took out a pad, wrote a script. Rx, laughter. Laughter? Okay, I said and went out and did what everybody else is doing in the pandemic. Started a podcast. Mine's called Women Write Funny. Celebrating women keeping humor alive in dire times. I'm your host, Dee Dee Bali. Each week, you'll meet funny female writers and performers as I interview them about their lives and work. All my Women Write Funny guests share one thing in common. They share the same DNA as Thalia, the goddess of comedy. So experience the gene pool of women who can't help but write and act funny. And along the way, I'll share some of my work as a writer. So come on in, take off your shoes, and join us. Do you want a cocktail? Some edibles? An espresso? Okay, sure. I'll be right back with this week's guest. I'm back. I had to go all the way to Maine to bring back our next guest. She's an acclaimed comedian, a scriptwriter, a producer of comic tours, a podcaster, a wife, a mom, a triathlete. And if that weren't enough, she's also a lawyer. Please welcome type A personality times a thousand, the gifted Karen Morgan. Hello. How's it going? It's so great to have you here on the show. I am glad to be here. I'm coming from sunny sort of not springtime Maine. I've actually lived here 25 years now, so I still don't sound like I've lived here 25 years, but I have been here for a long time. So you bring all that Southern charm up to the rocky coast. <laughs> I really didn't think I would stay. I, I met my husband on a blind date, moved up here and thought I would move him back to Georgia. And I was like, I'll just pretend to like it. Then I'll move him back. And then I fell in love with the state of Maine. It's beautiful and a great place to raise a family. Actually, it sounds like his Southern charm is stronger than yours. He got his way. (laughs) Well, he's from Boston. He's a Yankee. So, you know, I I married outside the family lines. I went up north. Well, I want to just start by getting the lawyer stuff out of the way. (laughs) Did you become a lawyer so you could sue anybody who tried to steal your material? (laughs) That's, That's a really great question. No, because I was a lawyer long before I became a comic. I always have to preface this by saying there was a little stage in between those two called having three kids in three years. So I practiced law for a long time, had three kids in three years, and then started doing comedy after that. And for those of you who don't know, Karen has gone from lawyer to an acclaimed comedian with 2 million viewers watching her latest comedy special called After 50, You Just Stop Caring. (laughs) (laughs) And you do. (laughs) I'm going to second that. I know you all thought I was 17, but I'm going to have to burst that bubble. So with 2 million viewers for your latest live comedy show, does that make you an influencer? Seriously, like a funny influencer? Do you get free trips and offers of strange grab bags from advertisers? (laughs) Gosh, Lord, no. Well, and it's actually three and a half million now on Facebook. 
But the answer is no. My manager likes to keep up with that math. I, I don't pay attention to it. I stopped long ago looking at the comments and things like that. You don't ever look at the comments on your own social media stuff. Just don't. Um, most of them are nice. I have a lot of very nice people that reach out. They're like, when do you kind of come to Texas or you do ever come to Ohio? And that's so flattering. But no, I am definitely not an influencer and I'm doing real life and my comedy comes from real life and I'm getting ready to leave here and go to the grocery store. And when I'm done talking to you and I'll write something great from coming home from the grocery store, but my life has not changed, nor do I want it to, and nor did I aspire to get into doing comedy for that reason. I loved watching your dry bar comedy special, which you can watch on YouTube if you already haven't. Mm-hmm. After 50, you've just stopped caring. I love what I called this constant unspoken theme of SMR, subversive mom rage. <laughs> That's right. I love that. It's a very good term and it's a very accurate term because I think as mothers, we, we give and give and give. And it, so it, it does build up. There's some things that build up after a while. I am blessed to have three great kids who have thankfully a really good sense of humor. So they know that a lot of the stuff that I talk about on stage comes from real things that happened. And then as you know, when you get on stage, sometimes things get a little bit cartoonized and you know, and fictionalized a little bit, but most of the stuff I talk about is, is real stuff. So when your kids and your husband realize that their bad behavior was showing up in your comedy shows and getting laughs, did they start behaving better or worse or treating you differently? <laughs> No, no. It's just like, oh, mom's doing another bit. They know what I do. And when they were younger, they kind of knew what I did, but it mostly meant that I was gone because I toured when they were younger. And then at some point I stayed home more. So they didn't really see the shows, obviously, when they were younger. Now that they're all in college, so they get it. They know what I do, but it definitely did not curb anyone's behavior. Certainly not my husband's. (laughs) Definitely not. So how long has the road been from your having this idea and starting and to where you are now? I started in 2004 when my youngest was two years old. And there was this local comedy club. They had a stand-up comedy course. And my friend said, oh, this will be fun to do. And I just wanted to literally get out of the house for a couple of hours a week because I had three kids. And so it could have been a photography class or a cooking class. I think my husband would have wanted it to have been a cooking class, but it was a comedy class. And I've always been a very big fan of comedy. From childhood, I stayed up with my dad to watch Johnny Carson. My dad and I devoured the first season of Saturday Night Live. My dad took me to see Steve Martin in his Let's Get Small tour. So I've always been a big fan of comedy, but never had I ever thought that I would actually do it. So I took this class and had a great time. And my teacher said, oh, by the way, did you know Nick at Night is having this search for the funniest mom in America? You know, can I send your tape in? So he did. And after three rounds of going to New York for auditions was one of the seven finalists in that particular thing. So I took this class, not expecting to really do this as a full-time job, but that sort of kickstarted everything. And I was like, oh, well, this is even more fun than practicing law. I think I'll still do this. That was 2004. And I have not stopped doing it since then. So let's go back in the women write funny time machine for a moment. Okay. What's your first memory of being funny, of realizing you could make someone laugh by what you said or did? I think as a child, I remember telling jokes probably to my dad because my dad had such a great sense of humor. My dad passed away 20 
three years ago. And so sadly, he didn't see any of this and he would have just gotten such a kick out of it. But I can't remember. There was a joke about a singing toilet. (laughs) I used to tell, you'd sit on the toilet and it would play a song. And the punchline was, oh, and it played the Star Spangled Banner and I had to stand up. I don't even think it's funny, but it was a singing toilet joke. And I told it to everyone. Like, Anybody that would listen to me, I would tell the singing toilet joke to. I remember telling that joke, people laughing, and I was like, this is really cool. But I still didn't aspire to do it, even as an adult, even because I, I know some people have this calling in high school. Some people have it in college. Some people have it in their early 20s. I was 40 years old when I started. I think one can be funny or witty or whatever and not want to necessarily make a career out of it. It's just sort of a sensibility that one has or is born with. Do you remember what it felt like to realize you had the power to make someone laugh? That's another great question. I think that when I actually started doing stand-up on a stage with a microphone and people laughing, and the first time you feel that sort of power coming, and and it's a power transfer. The audience gives you power. You know, you give it to them, they give it back to you. There's a transfer of energy, which is one of the reasons right now I'm having such a hard time with Zoom shows, virtual shows. You do not get the same power exchange or energy exchange from the audience when you're doing a virtual show. You get a little bit of it if their microphones are not muted and you can hear some things, but standing on a stage in the comedy club where I took that class and first started getting laughs, that's when I sort of felt, oh, there's power in this. A big ingredient of comedy is timing. And I love to ask performers, what is that exactly? Do you know? It's patience is the first thing that I would say, because so many people step on their laps. They want to get that punch out there. But the most important part of time is the patience to wait and put it out there at the exact right time. I had a a dear friend, Vic Henley, who passed away sadly last year, who's from Alabama, And his whole thing was, Karen, you got to curl up in the silence. You got to be comfortable in the silence. You got to sit, you got to wait, 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 because the longer you can wait and be comfortable in the silence before you throw that out there, the bigger the payoff will be for waiting on that timing. It takes years to learn it, I think. When you're a new comic, you're so excited. You've got this material in your head and you know it's really fun and you just, you want to get it out there as fast as you can. But it takes some time to learn to, okay, I'm going to say it, but I need to learn how to say it in the right way. There's an instinctive part of timing and then there's a learned part of timing. You must be psychic because literally my next question is, can you learn timing or is it (laughs) instinctive? That's too funny. Yes. Part of it, you have to, the learning part was, again, my friend Vic saying, be comfortable in the waiting. Curl up in the silence, he used to tell me. Just curl up in it. Curl up in it. So that part I had to learn. I had to learn how to be patient. And then there's some instinctive part of it. You have to have a good ear. You have to react to your audience. You're not on a TV show. You're in a room with live people. So you have to be a little bit instinctive of listening back. And I've noticed how you engage live with the audience, which is really important. You break that fourth wall. Yeah, you have to. And and I break the fourth wall all the time because my comedy is what it is. It's a conversation. I, I look at stand-up and some stand-up material that lends itself better than others, but mine specifically, I'm just talking to people. I'm just talking to other parents. I'm just talking to other mothers, or I'm just talking to other people that are at work. That's interesting. I sense that your comedy, when you're in the audience, actually in some way releases people, not only with laughter, but sort of liberates them from the difficulties of parenting. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the key to it for me is that it brings people together who can hear that they're not the only ones that are having these stressors in their life. I'm not the only one that's annoyed at my husband for doing X, Y, Z. My husband does that too, or my kids, they do that too. And so there's some camaraderie that happens and some relief, I think, with other people, like I'm not the only person going through this. That is one of the greatest gifts that I find with this business is that if you can have somebody recognize in themselves that they're not alone. That's great. I've always thought that comedy is cathartic. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. So how has the pandemic affected your sense of humor and your creative life? <laughs> we'll start, I guess we'll start with the, the obvious creative life stuff. So March the 12th of 2020, I actually had a show scheduled that night at 7 p.m. We were going to record another CD, my latest CD. I had sound people there. I had videographers there. We were ready to do the show and they canceled the 7 p.m. show at 3 p.m. that afternoon and everything shut down from there. I, I went the next day to pick up my kids from college and we came home, you know, and, and you know, I'm not alone in remembering where we were last year when all this fell apart. But obviously all the live shows have stopped. We're starting to see a little glimmer. I've got a live booking at the end of August is my first one. I'm like, okay. And then I just did one for October today. So I'm seeing that by the fall, there's hope. The good news about what it did to my creativity and what my projects were was that I started a podcast. I never would have started a podcast because I would have been busy. I would have been out doing shows. I would have been doing other things. I started writing. I started the scripts. I'm now writing a book. Just certain things that being home full-time and not having to travel have allowed me to do and and have quite honestly bettered me as a creativity person. Hey, I, I love podcasting now. I never did that before. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I never would have done it without the pandemic. I'm with you on that. We're going to pause now for a short excerpt of one of Karen Morgan's performances, and then we'll be right back. I had an MRI recently. I don't know if anybody's had one recently. They ask you weird questions. So if you go get one, here's my advice. I'm just going to give you a little heads up. The first question was, do you have any bullets or shrapnel in your body? I was like, I hope not. Do you have any shards of metal or metal fragments in your eyeballs? And I just sat there going, they would not ask this question if someone's eyeballs had not exploded in the MRI tube. Oh my God. (laughs) The third question was, Are you now, or have you ever been, and I'm like, okay, here comes the sex question, a welder. (laughs) I was like, okay, just once, but it was in college, and I was really drunk. It was okay. Gee, that was so much fun, Karen. There's just a couple of final questions I want to ask you. Okay. Since I know you have to go run a marathon before you do grocery shopping. (laughs) I'm not running today. No. What's the one question about your work that you wish people would ask and never do? Well, I can tell you the questions that they ask that I don't like. I'll start with those. I mean, when people say, do you write your own material? I get a little offended. I'm like, do you think I have a staff of writers here in my house writing down what my husband is saying? I don't think people realize how the writing process of stand-up comedy works. 
and this is why I still stay in this business because I'm super interested in the writing process. And having come from a legal background, I know that writing is important, words are important, everything you know is detailed. And I'm just super interested in what it takes to come up with a five-minute bit. It can take months. It can take years to perfect that five minutes. So I wish people were more interested in what the, the process really is. However, that is sort of the magic of stand-up comedy is that you have to get up there and pretend you just kind of came up with it off the top of your head when, in fact, you've been saying this same story for the past six months and you're tired of it. So that's sort of a little bit of the peeking behind the curtain. One last question, and that is, what's your favorite recipe? Oh, God. (laughs) I don't cook. I'll just start with the I don't cook. And my husband thankfully cooks, but lately we've been doing a lot of takeout. So my favorite recipe would have to be a Kentucky Derby pie. And I make these once every three years, maybe. And it's just, it's chocolate chips and pecans and bourbon and a lot of sugar and a lot of butter. And you put it in a pre-bought pie crust that you unroll into a pie plate. And then you make bourbon whipped cream to go on top of it. And then you have an alcoholic drink when you're eating it, right? And then you go to the dentist after. So I don't have a favorite recipe because I don't, I just don't cook. That's about the only one that I can remember what goes in it. (laughs) So your favorite recipe is making reservations. Absolutely. It is, it is takeout. We're good. Well, it's been great having you here today, Karen Morgan. I can't wait to see what you create next and perform next. And we hope you'll come back and visit us again. I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. And now a big shout out to you, our listeners, for being here, laughing and spreading the word. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. Visit our website, www.womenwritefunny.com. Sign up for satisfying stuff like writing contests, blogs, and news about our upcoming Burning Woman Festival with laughter instead of sand. Women Write Funny theme music is by composer Doc Steinweiss, also known as Leslie Steinweiss, who writes sonatas for saxophone in his spare time. Today's episode was written and hosted by Didi Bali, co-produced by Didi Bali and the Flying Poodle Ranch Production Please join us again next week for another episode of Women Write Funny. <laughs>